You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. Well, good to see you guys worshiping in the cameo as well as those of you that are online. How are we doing today? We doing okay? Having a good day? Yeah. <laughs> good to see us. So we are in the midst of 21 days of prayer and fasting. In case you came new here, you can start fasting with us at any point. We've been fasting. Some of us doing partial fasts. Some of us doing full fasts. All kinds of different fasting going on as we're trying to kind of do a spiritual reset at this time of the year. And uh, one of the things I want you to know is that at the end of like next Sunday after church services next Sunday, the fasting is over and the feasting begins, right? on. Anybody ready for that? Uh, but at the same time, we're experiencing God in some fresh new ways because we're committed to fasting during these days. And we're fasting for something in particular, like every time we feel hunger, it reminds us to pray for the lost. Now, who are the lost? The lost are people who don't yet have a relationship with God. They may be good people, but they don't just have a relationship with God. But it, the lost can also be people who do have a relationship with God, but they've strayed away from him. And one of the things that we've seen in the scriptures is we've been going verse by verse, story by story, through Luke chapter 15. We've seen how Jesus views the lost. Now, if you weren't here over the past couple of weeks, you can go back and listen to, watch, podcast on whatever media you want to choose I think we have it there on the lost coin and the lost sheep, which inspired this series. And the story we're going to see today is about something that's lost as well. Now, when you read through the New Testament of the Bible, you'll see just how much Jesus cares about the lost. And we see this in Luke 15, 1. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners, and he eats with them. So Jesus didn't just eat with people that others would call sinners, but he sought them out. He sought out relationships with people that others considered to be sinners. You know, and as we get to the story that we're going to look at today from Luke chapter 15, I was curious about how the people who translate the Bibles would title it. Because, you know, when you read through your Bible, there'll be these titles before a different story or a section of scripture, right? You've seen that? Now, those titles weren't in the original Greek version of the New Testament, but they were added by editors and translators to kind of get us in our minds the ability to kind of compartmentalize or find these stories in an easier way. And so I was really curious how the translators would title the story we're going to study today. Now, one translation, I think it's called the Passion Translation, and they translate, they, they put a title in front of this story and they say it's the loving father. And I thought, that's a pretty good title for this story. But most people are going to title this story the prodigal son. Or some will title it the lost son. That's typical. But I really like how author and pastor Tim Keller titles this story. He wrote this little book called Prodigal God that I thought was very insightful on this particular story from the Bible. And he says that this story should be titled rather than, it's always titled The Prodigal Son, but he says it should be The Prodigal Sons, plural. Because there are two sons in the story that are both prodigal for two different reasons. They're 
two sons in this story that we're supposed to compare and contrast. Now, before we get into it, let me ask you by raise of hands, a little informal survey here. How many of you are the oldest sibling in your family? How many of the oldest? Any oldest ones? Raise your hands. Good, good. Older siblings. Okay. How many of you are the youngest siblings in your family? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a baby of the family too. So a lot of you younger ones among us. How many of you are one of the middle kids in the families? Nobody cares about you. You can put your hands down. Nobody cares about you at all. Right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So this story from Luke 15 is designed for us to compare this older and younger brother or son. So look at the chart, and you can see that the younger son, he's kind of the wild child. He's considered to be a little more rebellious. He thinks the older brother is way too uptight. He's very self-expressive in the way that he lives his life. Now, the older son is the good kid. You know, he's always right, or so he thinks he is. And then he thinks that the younger brother is irresponsible. And the older brother is a rule follower. Man, if there's a rule, he's going to follow it. He's like, rules are there for a reason. We need to follow the rules, right? So now let me do another little informal survey with you. How many of you, generally speaking, are going to feel like you resonate more? Your probably natural inclinations are more like the younger son. Anybody, any people feel like you're not? That's me. That's, I'm like the younger. I like that. That's my inclination. I'll just tell you that straight up. How many of you are more like the older uh, son there? Okay. A bunch of older sons in this service, right? Uh, and then how many of you just didn't raise your hand because you don't like doing that kind of thing? You know, you don't want to raise your hand in, in church services. But um, anyways, there are going to be three characters in the story that we'll explore today. There's going to be the father. There's going to be the older son. Then there's going to be the younger son. So let's break them down. Let's look at each of the characters in the story. And the first one is going to be the younger son. Now, what I want to tell you about the younger son is that he wanted his inheritance early so he could go live his dream. And I'm going to tell the story of the younger son in such a way it's as if he were living in San Antonio today. So this younger son wanted to go fulfill his dream of a wild life. He wanted to be like Playboy's Hugh Hefner. He wanted to be at all the parties and he wanted to be a party guy like Drake. He wanted to be like those guys that go to Las Vegas, you know, like the hangover. That's what, that was his dream. I mean, if he were living in San Antonio right now, the younger son wanted to go to Sugar's Strip Club and All Stars Strip Club. Of course, none of the men in our church know about those places, right? But uh, he wanted to go in there and get the attention of all the ladies because of his lavish spending, right? He wanted to go in and give them great tips, and then he wanted to buy shots for everyone. So everyone would want to be his friend and he would be everyone's sugar daddy. So he was living his dream, right? Because he got all his inheritance money early, and he was spending it like crazy. He was living the dream. All the ladies were around him. They just loved him, right? He's taking them back to his swanky apartment all the time. You know, he was having, he, he was having a time of it, and it was so much fun for him for a time. It did always fun for a time. But then the pandemic hit, and then he got sick, and he had to go to the hospital, and he spent up all his money on hospital bills, didn't have any money anymore, and then he couldn't afford his swanky apartment over at the Pearl. He got evicted from his apartment, and the only place that he can get a place is down in Poteet, Texas on a pig farm. 
but he's working on a pig farm for a hog farmer. He can't even afford to go to H-E-B and buy any food, so he has to eat the pig chow that the pig farmer had on the farm, and that's unusually distasteful for a Jewish young man, as Jewish people don't eat pork and don't like pigs. They consider them unclean. Now, of course, if his older brother would have been around to see him struggling, you know what the other older brother would have done, right? He would have been, little bro, you made your bed, and now you got to lay in it. Little bro, you should have been more responsible, like me, right? Because older brothers always love being right, don't you? Don't they? I mean. Now, let me speak a word to younger brothers, younger sons. Because a lot of younger brothers, they always think that home is lame. And this younger brother thought that home was lame. Have you ever heard someone say, man, I think San Antonio is lame. I'm moving to Austin. Only to get there and find out that the tacos are not even close, are they? Everybody knows the tacos are better in San Antonio. But what you've got there, someone that thinks that home is lame, and let's say they think San Antonio's lame, they move to Austin. They're in Austin, they think, oh, Austin's gotten lame now. I'm moving to L.A., or I think L.A.'s lame, so I'm going to move to New York. See, they go from city to city. You know what we say in recovery? Some recovery experts say, everywhere you go, there you are. And a lot of people go from city to city. They go from apartment to apartment, even relationship to relationship. And everywhere they go, there they are those issues will be there. That dissatisfaction with life will always be there until you deal with it. That's why we have these classes or groups or tribes, things. We call them tribes like cultivate, like, you know, conquerors. And there, there are so many more. But I want to ask this. Does the younger son, uh, do you have a younger son in your life right now? I don't mean literally a son that's prodigal or away, but it could be a daughter, it could be a sister, or it could be a friend from where. Do you have any younger sons in your life right now? Don't raise your hands on that one. Um, and here's what we got to, to watch out for, is we got to watch out for enabling the very behaviors that'll keep younger sons from coming to their senses. Because a lot of us in this church, we care about people and we care about the younger sons, the prodigal son types in our life. And the first thing we want to do is go help them. But sometimes helping hurts. It keeps them from coming to their senses. Look what happened with this guy. He finally hit rock bottom in Luke 15, 17. When he finally, look at those next four words, came to his senses. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare and here I'm dying of hunger. And so the, the younger son is finally ready to say, I've got a problem. My life is spiraled out of control. I need a higher power to help me get through what's going on in my life. And so he starts walking home. He doesn't even have a car. He starts a long walk back to dad's house. And that leads us to think about dad, the second character in our story. Because what must the dad be thinking? The dad doesn't know his son's on the way home right now. And you think about, put yourself in his place, what he was feeling that his son was gone. Now you've got a dad here who not only was worried, but he was hurt. And the reason that he was hurt is because his son asked for the inheritance money before the father died. 
Think about that, parents. If your kids asked you for their inheritance right now while you're still alive, how does it make you feel? That's basically their way of saying, I want your money, but I don't want you. And a lot of us parents know what rejected love feels like, don't we? And so this son dishonors his father by asking for the inheritance while the father is still alive. It is a deep wound in this father. And so one of the things that's shocking, that's certainly one of the things, the details of the story that's shocking that the kid wants the inheritance early and so dishonors his father. But the thing that's more shocking about this particular story to the original readers was how the father responds. Because most people who know anything about the Middle East and the biblical backgrounds of the first century would know that any father that had a son come to him and ask for an early inheritance would have berated that kid and kicked him out of the house with verbal and physical abuse. And you know the older brother is right there in his ear. Dad, here's what you need to tell him. Dad, you tell him you're an ungrateful punk. Dad, you tell him don't let the door hit you on the butt on your way out, right? Get out of here, you ungrateful punk. That's what the older brothers tell him, the dad. But it's shocking that this particular father in this story does not respond in that way. With a broken and loving heart, he gives the kid the inheritance. And you know what he had to do in order to get the money to make it liquid? He had to sell part of the family land, some of his own land that he owned, to give this kid money to go squander on sex workers. Some of you who have read about Jewish people and have read through the Bible, you know how connected Jewish people are to their land. Their land is a big deal. It's a part of them. Some of you have family land, and you know about that because you love that land. You have memories on that land. Others of you grew up in a family home, and you were there with all the family during the holidays. Can you imagine selling the family land or part of that home in order to give a kid his inheritance early. The only way I can describe how the Jewish people feel about their land here in San Antonio is like the piece of property downtown we call the Alamo. You know how Texans are about that, right? If you want the Alamo, you're going to have to come and take it because it's so significant to the history of this city and to Texas. So this is how this father would have felt when he sells the family land to give his younger son his inheritance and the son just leaves. This father is not a guy who acts on his machismo, his ego, and he doesn't even act out of his hurt. How hard is that to do, dads? When your kids have actually hurt you and you still have to respond like a loving father. And so there isn't a day that goes by that this father isn't thinking about his son He's thinking, is he safe? He's thinking, does he know I love him? He's thinking about his son the whole time. The son is gone. And so why does the younger son decide eventually to go ahead and come on home? Because even though this son has said some things that he probably regretted, this son knew the heart of his father. He knew that his father was a man of character, a man of love, a man of forgiveness, and a man of mercy. And so he decides to trek home. And finally, the father can seem a ways off. And we see this good father getting personal with his prodigal son. 
in Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it says, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. And of course, this son is expecting, you know, maybe a don't ever show your face around here again, or at least a good I told you so, but it's none of that. This father pulls out all the stops to throw him an amazing party, you know, but Everyone in the story is not real happy about this party that the father is throwing for the younger son, are they? And that leads us to our third character, the older son. The party does not make the older son happy at all. And he gets in his dad's face and he lets him know, look, dad, you know, you're my younger brother. You're son, you know, my Zach Galvanakis, younger brother, goofball. He goes and blows inheritance money from the family land on sex workers. And then you rent out a Rudy's barbecue, some of the best barbecue in the area. And then you get a DJ here to throw a party for this goofball. And I've been faithful in the family business for all these years. And you don't even let me order the cabrito at Taco Cabana. I mean, come on, dad. What's going on here? You know. So why is he so angry? because he's got unforgiveness in his heart. The older son won't go into the party that represents the kingdom here because he's got unforgiveness in his heart. And he's questioning the father's goodness and he's questioning the father's fairness, isn't he? Because older brothers can lean towards a religious spirit where they want God for his blessings but don't want him. They think that because they're good, that God owes them blessings. So what is it that keeps the older brother out of the party of the kingdom? Is it their badness or their goodness? It's their goodness, isn't it? That's why Tim Keller says about religious people, he says, religious people obey God to get things. Gospel people obey God to get God. The real reward is not any inheritance, but it's the good father in his heart and his love. See, so why is the party so good? It's because the father is in there. He is the reward. And this amazing father, he gets personal and runs out to the younger son. But, you know, he does the same thing for the older son who's outside the party. He goes out to him. Let's see this good father getting personal with his older son in Luke chapter 15, verse 28 says he came out, he left the party, and he begged him. He's like, son, I want you to come in so badly and look at the next part. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. It's like, man, I value your brother more than that land. I value your brother more than inheritance money. And I had to let him go learn on his own. I love him. He's so important and I love you too. Now, did this older brother, the older son, did he ever go into the party? We don't know. 
the text, the story doesn't tell us. Jesus leaves us with a cliffhanger, a mystery. He tends to do that, doesn't he? There's a lot of mystery where Jesus doesn't give us the answer. But I don't think the question for you and I today is whether or not the older son ever went into the party. I think the question for us is, will we go in? And will we take anyone with us? Because we know what the father's always doing. He's always getting personal with older brother types and younger brother types. And if we want to be a part of the party, we'll get personal with others as well. And we'll go seek and save the lost, bring them to the good father in the story. And so in the end, who is it that gets the father? Is it the older brothers that just follow the rules, the goody goodies? Or is it the younger brothers who really appreciate the grace and who uh, really have been wild in that? Well, it's neither. It's the humble. It's the people, whether they're older or younger brothers, that are willing to humble themselves before the Father and forgive that get into the party of the kingdom. And I think that the Father's love for both his older sons and his younger sons is illustrated in the 1992 Barcelona Olympics when Great Britain's Derek Redman was entered in to, to run the 400-meter race. He dreamed about this race his whole life, and he was running a pretty good race until he tore a hamstring in the middle of the race on the final stretch. And I want you to watch on this video what his father did when he saw his son hobbling along, just trying with all his might to finish this race. Take a look.
So the good father, when he sees his son struggling to finish the race, he leaves the stands and he won't be separated from his son. He comes down. Did you notice that the rule follower security guards tried to keep him back and that wasn't going to work, was it? He's like, nope, you need to get out of the way because I'm going to my son. I will not be separated from my son. And so as we worship him, how about we stand together and if you would like to, you can join me in kneeling at the front and praying for the prodigal older and younger sons and the lost. And perhaps some just want to come and kneel and thank God, our good father, that when we're hobbling along, just trying to finish the race, you know, he leaves and he comes alongside and he puts his arm around us and he helps us finish this race. So let's worship our good God.
that you didn't just stay up in the stands and the bleachers, but you came down to get personal with us. And some of us today are praying for the prodigals in our lives, whether they're older son types or younger son types, we're praying for them and we're willing to go to them with you and we're praying for them. But some of us today are coming back to you because we've been prodigal. We've known you and we've strayed away and gotten away and gotten out of the habits of worshiping with you. And we just, we just want to come back to you, Jesus, because we know your heart is good. And still others don't know God. And you can't even say you're his kid. But what I want you to know today is that the good news of the gospel is John 1, 12, as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. He wants you to be his kids, his sons, his daughters. And there's no like magic prayer to pray, but if you want to just talk to him in your own heart and your own words and just say something, maybe you just say something like this if you never talked to him before. Just in your own heart and head, he can read your thoughts. Just say, hey, look, God, I know I've sinned and screwed some stuff up. But right now, the best I understand it, I'm choosing to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for my sin. And he rose again from the dead to give me a whole new life. So welcome into my life. Whether we just met you or have known you for many years, we're just saying, thank you, God, that you weren't content to be separated from us and nothing can separate us from your love. And we pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, you guys go ahead and take a load off just for a minute. Man, God's been good to us today, hasn't he? In the way that he speaks to us and ministers to us and loves us today. Yeah, God is so good. Um, so as we wrap up today, just a couple of things to remind you of. One is that next Sunday, we're going to continue thinking about the lust. And we're going to talk about how we can get personal with one like we wish we could with everyone. You know, you ever feel the weight of the world? It's like, hey, man, there's so many things going wrong out there. How do I even make a dent in the problems of the world? Well, we're going to look at just making an impact on one person next Sunday. And one of the things I want to talk to you about, too, is how we worship through not just the singing and not just through listening to sermons and teachings and stuff and classes and all that, but we worship through our financial stewardship. And I looked at this article that I thought was interesting some years back. 
and it was on a blog online that's called Money Under 30. And the title of the blog post, I think it's a magazine too, it's Can Tithing Make You Rich by Some of the World's Wealthiest Give Away 10% of Their Money. Now, I don't really like the title of that and the wording of it, because those of us that follow Jesus know that we don't tithe and give money because we want to get rich. That's not really what's in our hearts to do. Um, but what I thought was insightful about this particular blog post was that they got a quote from a guy named Sir John Templeton, who was one of the most influential and skilled investors in the 20th century. And they got a quote from Sir John Templeton. He said this, I have observed 100,000 families over my years of investment counseling, and I always saw greater prosperity and happiness among those families who tithe. And I think that there's something to that, that we know what Jesus says is better to give than to receive. And so when we're generous with the resources and we bring that tithe um, at the church, that it does something in us. And it doesn't always mean we're going to get rich, but it does mean we're going to be blessed in the happiness and joy of giving and seeing people's lives changed. And so I'm thankful for you guys and your generosity and the way that you guys are making an impact on people's lives through your financial stewardship here at City Tribe Church. Now, here's four ways to get that done. In case you're new here, uh, by mail, you can mail it to the P.O. Box number. You can also text to tithe or in person at our giving stations located near the exits of the theater. Or you can go to our website, citytribe.church slash tithe. And so we're so grateful for, the, for those of you that do that. Of course, if you're not a Christian or a God follower or any of that, we totally understand if you don't participate in the financial part of the worship. But those of us that are, we, it's our joy to be able to participate in that. Let's stand up together. Let me speak a benediction over you. Dear brothers and sisters, dear older sons and younger, may you walk from here knowing that your good father is holding you up as you finish the race. So go from here to the other younger and older sons and get personal with them, knowing that that will bring a party in heaven. Go from here and make heaven party. You guys have an awesome Sunday. We'll see you next time. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.